Hello, this is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres and I'm your host. And we have two special guests today, both out of Canada. We have the owner of Legacy 420, Tim Barnhart, and we have the CEO of Legacy 420, Kathy O'Coin. So from Tyendinaga, Ontario, Canada, how are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. How about yourself? Hello, I'm yeah. doing good. I'm doing good. It is good to see. This is the second time I've done a recording with each of you. We've done one. We did our one recording with each of you the second time, and it is good to see you guys. It is good to see you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to see you too. Yeah. So, it was been about. It's been a little bit more than a year, actually. By the time this will publish, it'll have been over a year for sure. And uh, the first episode, we kind of we it was, it was, we were kind of starting to get to know Tim. And in your episode, Kathy, we were also starting to get to know you too, and how you are over quality assurance and the day-to-day operations of uh, Legacy 420. And on this one, I had some questions for you guys, because testing is a big issue right now. Testing is a big issue. You see a lot of things on on uh, out of the states where we're uh, testing lab, cannabis testing, lab tests, testing labs, excuse me, are, uh, you know, they're having problems with... Uh, they're having problems with potency and they're having problems with contaminants and stuff like that. And legacy 420 and what you're doing there is interesting because it, you are a sovereign nation outside of Canada, but you're living within the geographical Canadian boundaries. Right. And the way cannabis legalization came out in Canada, the way it rolled out, the indigenous populations were certainly left out and you have forged a way you have literally forged a way because you were left out and here you are doing this and you have high standards of quality for your products i'm not an expert but i would say that their standard is higher than the Canadian and any of the state standards here in the States, <laughs> that would be my, that'd be my presumption. And uh, that's what I want to ask you guys about. What is it that sets your products apart when it comes to testing that, that consumers and, and can trust? Well, we are very different than almost anybody out there uh, because here at Legacy, of course, we have a, a, our lab. And we are able to, uh, we have an HPLC that allows us to do the cannabinoid profile. Um, and then we use the GC mass spec, which allows us to do the terpene profiles and look at um, pesticides and residual solvents. So, for example, if we're um, analyzing some flour that we're going to use for extraction, then that gives us the THC uh, and the other cannabinoid content. So we know <laughs> then how much we need of that to put in to make, say, a batch of 50 milligram gummies, right? So it's it's very specific. Plus, also that's used on the potency side of it. That's used out front for customers. Um, you know, our potency and flower goes anywhere from 14% up to 32%. So it gives them a range to be able to pick from. Um, again, being unique, you, you don't see that here. Like most people, when you go to buy flour at other stores, they're not giving you that information that we give you. And we're also very strict on, we have a percentage that we allow uh, on our visual inspection, on uh, mold or um, bud rot, that kind of stuff. So we reject a lot of flour that people then sell at other places. But to us, it's very important because our clientele, um, you know, we deal with a lot of medical patients and it's very important to us that, first of all, they know the proper dosage and that they're getting a good quality, safe medicine. And that's what, that's what, go ahead. Will you say something, Tim? Yeah, I just want to add to that, um, you know, so the, the importance of testing in, um, in this field you know, is, you know, it, it, it can't be underscored. Um, so, you know, in the food industry, um, you know, they're required to test everything as well, right? And so, um, 
this is an edible product and and, and shame on the people um, for not doing the due diligence and making sure that they have accurate dosing and 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 testing in place. So um, the, the kind of the, the LP system that was born in 2018 through through the uh, legalization of cannabis, um, it, it's doing its job, but um, they are having a, a lot of problems with the testing of chocolates and, and certain types of edibles. Mm -hmm. um, and so the inherent risk in, in, in that, um, and we haven't had that problem, have we? Well, that's a good point, Tim, because I, was, I had written that down. Um, we actually work with uh, professional partners out there and we, doing what we do, we've set the standard, okay? So um, like people don't know how to test chocolate. Right. We figured that out in conjunction um, having that verified from professional partners that we are doing that correctly. So on your first comment there, Miguel, about, you know, we've gone above and beyond. Yes, we, right. have. we have. Yeah. We have. And we have them coming to us for the standard now. That's interesting, right? So you didn't write the standard. You made your own. You didn't write the standard for 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 uh, uh, a regulatory body. You wrote it for yourself, for your own personal reasons. Like these are these are the values that we have within the the mission that we're doing for this product for this uh, product these products and you set that standard yourself and that's that's why <laughs> that's why it's that matters that matters to people I think that matters to consumers because they know that that's the heart of the people who are doing it and and I you know I just wanted to add a little bit on on soft drink um, so soft drinks um, or alcohol free drinks as a lot of people like to call them are now the rave of a lot of licensed producers and. Uh, we've been manufacturing uh, liquid drinks for since 2015. Um, but what we do that no one else does is we use a full extract. So um, the big players um, couldn't figure out how to do that, right? And we figured out very early in the game and how to do that. And um, so today, most of your um, soft drink makers, your cannabis soft drink makers are using isolate. Right, so it's a one dimension THC. Um, it's hard. It's hard uh, to miss with that, right? So it's ninety nine nine. Um, so it makes it very easy and accurate to, to to dose. But it's 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 not true medicine. You're getting only a small portion of the value of the THC. Um, so when you drink our infused drinks, you're getting the full uh, full full effect, right? The full extract. And so it's really a medicine. And so um, we've been making these pops now since 2015. It's now 2022 and with, with no ill effect, right? So it's been one of our main sellers. And you would think that there would be a lot of players saying, how did you guys do that, right? Yeah. But no one, literally. So we've even called um, three years ago or two, a couple of years ago, we were trying to uh, think outside the box and grow the red label. And so we reached out to Pepsi and Coca-Cola and, you know, tried to get them into manufacturing with us. And so, um, you know, they went to their boardrooms and took it to their boardrooms and came back with a resounding no that we'll find our own way forward. But those those companies still haven't gotten involved in, in the cannabis uh, world. And we're, we're just sitting here uh, saying, hey, guys, um, we can help. And, and that's another thing that we do. We have these ways of cracking these formulas that industry hasn't done yet, right? And so um, that's something we have to offer that that I don't see anybody offering. And you've been doing that. So this was in 2015, you said? You've yes. Been doing the, so this it's is awesome. going on seven years. Yes, yes. And I do remember seeing articles about, about uh, and this there were Canadian companies this is like a few years ago, they were having problems with having the label on the can or the, or the container match what's actually in the content that's actually in that container in terms of the potency. And yeah. and the articles that I was seeing was like, they were almost pretty much like saying, it's not possible, it's giving up, which is crazy that nobody's, that I'm glad your stuff is doing well. I'm glad your stuff is good for you. That's good. So, I'm here to tell you that it is possible. It is possible. It so is exactly. Possible. Their first foray into the market, um, that was before isolation came along. So their first foray in, into the uh, cannabis pop, mark, pop market 
was with uh, with the fecal product. So what the fecal product was doing was sticking to the to the can on the inside. And so potency, uh, you weren't getting uh, the main ingredient of pop. Then in 2018, when isolates were legalized and allowed to be sold to licensed producers, that gave them the instant um, ability to start making dosable pops and accurate dosable pops. So uh, that aside, if it wasn't for the isolated market, they might still not have figured it, figured it out. And instead of just picking up the phone and just saying, hey, guys, at Legacy 420, can you help us with our formulation? Um, they never did. So it was um, a lot of lost time, them doing unnecessary research. And they still don't have a product to market. No. Yeah. But you guys do. And how many how many liquid products or how many uh, beverage products do you have? You guys have? Um, we have our pop line, um, and that comes at a 10 milligram, a 30, or a 60 milligram. And there's um, nine different flavors and two diet flavors in there. Um, we have lemonade, raspberry lemonade. We have seasonal. We have eggnog. We have That's chocolate good. milk. We have iced tea. I saw uh, the eggnog. I saw the eggnog on an Instagram post. I was like, "Ooh, that does sound good." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, they are, they are getting into the season." <laughs> now, then, um, we also have in the summertime we come out with some summer-related drinks. So yeah, chocolate milk and that sort of thing. We'll do. I saw that. You know, yeah, dad, the chocolate. It's a funny thing. My my son, one of my sons, just loves chocolate milk, and I was like, "Oh, I better not get any of that. <laughs> I better not have any of the fruit for me." <laughs> So you, local producers you just well. need to teach your children about the THC symbol on the bottle. Oh, I know. I hear you. I hear you. It's, oh. it's a, it, it, he's a chocolate milk junkie. He just loves chocolate milk. I, he just loves chocolate milk. Now, here's the thing. I heard you say pop. Yep. Now, I grew up in Michigan and we called soda pop, like soda, soda beverages, right? Is that what you're talking about when you say pop or is that? Yeah, yeah, so I grew yeah. up in New Jersey and I, and I was used to the same saying, soda, yeah. so soda pop. Yeah, soda pop, so yeah. When, we, when I moved to Canada, we went from soda to pop. Yeah, so, so you actually you have you have carbonated beverages with, with potency that matches the label. That's right, correct, exactly. Because also, once we produce something, then we test it. Yeah, okay, so. Everything we make follows a batch formulation sheet, which is a recipe, and it tells the people in production exactly what they have to put in to make something. And after they've made it, then we test it to, to verify that it matches what was made. And then it gets inspected and released. And Tim, I think I heard you say, to add on to that, you said you're, you're, the, the flour you're sourcing, the, the material you're sourcing is, is from the local community as well, right? Yes. It is. It's all Mohawk. Yeah, pretty much all Mohawk or Ojibwe. Okay, right on. So, do you guys want to talk about? You know what? Let, I want to save this one for the end. What we what we're going to save what you guys got going on for 2023 until the end. We'll 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 close out with that one. How's that sound? Sound okay. good? All right. So we're going to go ahead and get into this. Now, the reason why this stuff matters is because. There are a lot of, I, and I know in the United States, and I don't know it in Canada, but I presume it's similar, <clears throat> and across Central and South America as well, that uh, many indigenous populations, sovereign nations, have a lot of poverty. And this is why what you're doing matters, because of your understanding of this, and how you came up as a child in the United States, as you, I remember from the previous episode, you said, you said it earlier, you, you were raised in New Jersey and then went to Canada and uh, it matters. And I think a lot of people don't really understand. I think people, I don't know, you know, sometimes you, you, you think when you look at, when you're talking to people about it, about poverty, whether, no matter where it is, people know it's there because they know that they could be in it too. Right. It's possible. It's either it's if, if you don't if people don't understand this, like, you know what? Things could turn around. Think, the pandemic happened. Nobody, you know, people found themselves. In different places in their life and in their mind and in their thoughts. Right. And. 
along that way, I think because of something like the pandemic, it helps people to understand others a little bit better because they want to be, we want, everybody wants to be understood and, and known themselves. And when it comes to the history of your sovereign nation, your indigenous sovereign nation in Canada, I want to ask you if you can tell us a bit about the history. I certainly can. So a brief history. Um, so we arrived um, in 1784 as a result of the Revolutionary War of the United States. So the Mohawk people chose a side, and that side um, was with the British. And so after the war had ended, um, we were basically sent away. Uh, we had to leave the United States because it was a border then laid down, um, Canada and the U.S. And um, since we were aligned with the British, we went with the British. And so... Um, in 1786, Captain Brandt, who is a Mohawk uh, captain in the British Army, um, was given a $500 check for our lands in the United States. And um, we headed to Canada. And so um, 1784, we landed in the place called Machine, Quebec. Um, we stayed there for about seven or eight years until lands were set aside for us. Um, and those lands um, are, are called now Tidenega, where we are. Um, and there were six different lands set aside for our people in, in six strategic areas around Lake Ontario and its tributaries. And um, that land was given to us free of any taxes um, or, or laws to be enjoyed in, in, uh, by our people for eternity. So um, that is a brief history, um, albeit the um, history is, is a lot worse than it sounds um, because that sounds pretty utopic. It does. It does. And I know and I'm sure it wasn't that easy, right? Well, when we arrived here, there was nothing here. And so we had to begin clearing the land and, and uh, finding a place to live and without the proceeds of any um, government, right? So we were basically um, had $500 that was left over for the lands, but that was absconded and taken off to another nation. So we were basically left with no money and with no agreement with Canada to receive any monies. So we basically X'd out a living through hunting and fishing uh, for about 20 years. And then um, Western farming kind of hit the shores um, of, of Lake Ontario, and the government started pushing Western farming techniques. And so around 1820, a large section of our reserve was taken away um, through by the government through, I guess, a land transfer of some sort. Um, it's We have a land claim in against that property right now, but... Um, which severed our hunting grounds. So we could no longer go back north and hunt for deer and elk and moose. So we were left to the southern shore and then we took up fishing and, and local hunting and kind of made and farming and made a subsistent living out of that for probably to the turn of the 19th century. So hundred years of, of subsistence living. Um, and then as the 20th century started to roll around, we basically um, followed the white man, right? So we joined armies, uh, we worked in cities, um, but it is, it is, I should say that when we moved to the city or we did join an army, we had our, our Indian status taken away. So they disenfranchised you when you left the reserve. Um, when you left so, the, yeah. I, so I, what does that actually look like when it's being walked out? You know what I mean? Stripped of all your Indianness. So you become basically um, excommunicated from your reserve when you joined an army. Yeah. So that, is that, is that, was that, so, so was that something that the federal government had to yes. implement it? Government, yeah. So it was part of their policy. So they so, made you in that. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, having been, having been in the military, it's a weird thing. And I'm thinking, why would they need to do that? Because you got to take that oath, right? Everybody stands in a room. You got all that. You got you got the person there reading the oath. And I'm not sure. I'm sure it's something similar in Canada, right? And 
And I'm thinking, why would that need to happen? It's like, it doesn't even seem to make sense, right? Yeah. Unless unless they're talking about um, sovereign nations and loyalty and things like that. That's the only thing I can think of. But then again, it's not, a, it's not like, it's not, it's not like you're some foreign entity across an ocean who's right. spying in your own country, in your country, you're, you're there. It's known that you're, that, that's what I'm getting at is that that rule alone, it, it seems like a rule that's made to abuse, right? Yeah. I think you would, obviously you agree, right? I totally agree, but more importantly, our alignment with the British, uh, uh, the British army um, in, in the Revolutionary War, and then again in 1812. So the, um, we were pivotal in that war as well, the War of 1812. So it was our people, actually the Mohawk people who burned the White House down, right? So, um, yeah, so it's, um, our alignment with the military has been um, staunch and, and very long, right? So the, um, the stripping your, um, who you were, I think was government policy to get rid of the Indian problem. Yes, right? that's yeah, so in built in abuse, built in yeah. abuse. Canada gets created in 1868 and then the Indian Act in 1868, right? So Canada is created, um, but there's a conundrum for Canada because they don't hold title to any of the property. So Say it again. They don't hold title to? Title to the property. That's why we're so integral to Canada is because we hold the title. We're the true title holders of 93% of the lands. And that's why they strip you. So they, they, they thought back in the day uh, of us being the problem. If they only get rid of us, they would have access to our lands. And that was the process of reservations, putting you on reservations. The same in the States, but the, in the United States, they conquered. They used the word conquered. Okay, so that's different. We aligned. We set treaties with the British government. In the United States, they conquered the people. There's a difference. And so... Um, when the British started to sign treaties, they kind of sold themselves um, into no ownership, really. So they they um, they hold the basically a crown land. That's why it's called crown land because it's held by the crown, mm -hmm. but it's held by the crown on our behalf. If that makes any sense. It, it I, I see the I see the line of reasoning, but it also kind of seems like why does the crown need to hold it on your behalf? Why can't you hold it on your behalf on your right? Because uh, we're wards of the government. That's what we are. Say it again. We are wards of the government. Okay. That's what we're considered wards of the government. We are the queen's children or the wards of the government. That is the term they use. Oh, the king now, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, so um, like I said, racism racism is alive and well in twenty first century. It is and institutionalized and institutionalized with policies and laws. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so you're hearing all this talk right now about you know inclusion and uh, you know um, I don't feel included in anything, and I never have. Right? Our people have never felt included in anything. Um, we're always an afterthought. Uh, oh, geez, yeah, what about those pesky Indians? I guess we should do something with that. And that's kind of like we're used to being uh, dealt with. And it's uh, it's really quite sad, you know? <laughs> it is. Underrated and overlooked. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, I got to tell you, though, it is still amazing that, that you're still doing what you're doing. I mean, you guys got to, you guys have a high quality production Thanks. with products and you guys are doing stuff that nobody else is doing. And that's what's that I get what you're saying, man. It's sad and and, and no, it is. Yeah, I, can, so, I can relate to some things having having my father been I'm third generation US on my dad's side. I can relate to some of to to what you're talking about to certain degrees and but not exactly, right? It's like there was no there was a US Mexico war, but they didn't put Mexicans, Mexican Americans on plots of land and say you can't leave. And they didn't you didn't, you know what I'm saying? That is totally different. When you're told to renounce your identity to go do something that they want you to do. Right. That's built in abuse. And and that's and that's you know, it, it's uh it's more than sad. And this is why we are gonna get into a little bit of this later on because we we talked about it in the first episode with with you, Tim, and with you, Kathy, but 
Yeah, it's uh, we'll, we'll we'll I won't get there yet because I still want to talk about these other things first. So I don't want to digress too much. But um, now the history of marijuana in Tyendinaga. What's that look like? So I I have heard stories that cannabis has been around quite a long time, um, probably a couple hundred years. Yeah. So in 16, uh, probably 1620, hemp makes its way into the U.S. Uh, it gets traded. Um, people start growing it. They're, they're, um, the 13 colonies are basically ordered by the government to start growing it for sales, for rope. Uh, they need cordage. They need um, hemp. And so Canada takes up the, uh, the call um, not long after that. And uh, it started um, with our people probably a couple hundred years, uh, probably about 50 years after the hemp plants released and we started getting into it. Okay. Uh, now, as far as cannabis goes, I can trace it all the way back to the 1920s in Aquasasne. I've tracked it back as far as that being grown, marijuana being grown illegally. Um, and I got to say, when I was a kid, um, there wasn't a whole lot of cannabis around Tyendinaga, but um, there were a lot of smokers um, who were buying it in Belleville in small quantities and probably reefing outside the community and bringing small quantities in. And then I think it was in around 1973 and 1974, I smoked a joint and pretty much that was it. So I knew by the time I was 19 or 20, that pretty much I was going to have some of my life was going to be involved in cannabis because I had enjoyed it so much and it was doing a lot for me. It was keeping me out of trouble. I was a problematic child and it was keeping me out of trouble, right? And so that that was good for me. And so um, I think when I was around 19 or 20, I learned the difference between a male and a female. And that was it. So cannabis is really born in time and egg, probably right around the early 1980s, because along when I started growing, many other people started growing as well. Probably 10 other fellows around that time started growing in a fairly substantial way. And then all the other reserves, um, East and South, um, Mohawk Nation started firing up. Um, I remember up in Quebec in the early 1990s of the, the Quebec police going into our system reserve up there with tanks. And they had um, three to 400,000 plants growing on that reserve in the early 90s. So, yeah, so people... They went out with tanks to get plants. Yeah, <laughs> they did. They did. They did for three years in a row. They raided that reserve year after year. Actually, the CIA actually was in on that out of the United States. Yeah, because the, it kind of, the, the nation kind of goes to the south into the United States. So... Okay. Um, Cornwall Island, and then you've got the, the Seneca Nation down there, and they were growing as well, right? So the, the problem was is that, that um, there was an eradication program started in the early era, the early 90s as well, because hemp started growing well along the, the major highways out west and out east here. And so they just took the eradication uh, one step further, took uh, the, was it SBQ or? The, yeah. The yeah. French police force and use tanks to go in and start raiding uh, the First Nations. Yeah. And the FBI in the United States. So cannabis um, basically started in um, heavy um, probably in the early 80s. I did read a study. Um, the World Health Organization commissioned a study in 2001. It was a world study on cannabis use. And it's 168 countries. And believe it or not, in, in 2001, Jamaica's uh, cannabis rate was 37.9. And ours across Canada for indigenous people was 43%. So we were literally smoking more than Jamaica was. Wow. And yeah. what year was this, 2001, you said? 2001. So huh. I then, right, that... Um, this was a really popular thing amongst our people and that possibly that this could be a future, if that future ever arrived. Because we had uh, the Dane Commission 
And then um, Paul Martin, uh, the liberals and Paul Martin started talking about legalization uh, as he was running for prime minister. So I started thinking, could this be it? <laughs> right? But it doesn't happen until 2015, until Justin Trudeau comes in, uh, your current prime minister, and turns legalization into reality once then. Um, you know, I follow that uh, very closely and, and made my move into action 2014 under the Har under the Harper Conservatives is when I opened my store, right? Because I saw the writing on the wall. Justin Trudeau was out there saying, hey, we're going to legalize. And then you had Stephen Harper, who was to the far right. You had the young kid to the far left. I knew that that policy alone would get him elected, and it did, right? And so um, cannabis was legalized. And our people are now highly invested in this and highly involved. So I got a question for you, man. I grew up in Michigan, like like I told you. And when I was growing up, I went to high, I, I I I was in the nineties when I went to high school, right? And uh, casinos on Native reservations was a big deal in the eighties and nineties. And before that, I remember it was tobacco and things like that. And, and this is where, this is where, this is where I want to ask you about what your thoughts on on that, when it comes to, to uh, going mainstream, something to something to the effects of mainstream, because going mainstream is not easy, but it does seem like um, entities sometimes come in and, and exploit, and they don't want they, they exploit. And you guys are doing to guard against that. What you guys are doing is you're like you're guarding against that, right? You, the success is coming, but you're guarding against exploitation and, and being taken advantage of because, because unfortunately, that is a track record. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So um, in the very beginning, so 20, probably 2017, probably 2016, 2017, as I started to build out this store, um, I had all the major players here. We had the Kronos Group, we had Tilray, we had Aurora, we had pretty much every licensed producer um, in the game reach out to us, right? And um, all they were really interested in was getting into Indian country. Everybody was trying to figure out how to get into Indian country. I don't know whether they went back and read the same study. I read it in 2001 and saw how lucrative of an industry it could be. I don't know. But um, there is only one way to get into Indian country, and that's being an Indian, right? In Canada, anyways, in the States, it's quite different. Um, I see they've created um, a licensed uh, producer program whereby... First Nations have to sign on to a licensed producer to bring uh, cannabis to, to nations in the South. Uh, but up here in Canada, you can't get onto a reserve if you're a corporation. It, it, it hasn't been done. It, there's been, I think, two corporations formed uh, on reserve to, to, uh, to grow out cannabis in some way, and, and both of them failed. I mean, uh, the one's valuation is so low, you could probably buy it for less than 20 million. And the other guy is, is pretty much non-existent too. And he was a processor. So I think I'm yeah. So um, you need a social license, right? And you only get that social license through responsibility, right? You don't get it through greed or money. You get it through responsibility. That's cool. That's cool. That's that is cool, Tim. You get it through responsibility. Right on. Right on. All right, man. So uh the red market. I don't think a lot of people know what the red market is. <laughs> can you help I can't help uh help listeners understand what the red market is? Hey, so the, the red market is not the black market. Right, but, you know that that's what I'm getting. It's like it kind of sounds, you know, what I'm saying it's kind of like I want to make sure the listeners under because I heard Tim say, it, and I remember we had did our episode with you, Kathy. I was like, yeah, the red, you're, you're talking about. I was like, and that's that's the biggest thing I want to like. Right. Draw. But I also want you guys to explain to to listeners what it's it, all about. Too. Like we're like what you know, we are um, the red market, right? So um, the red market is a wholly tested, you know, um, non bastardized product. Indigenous, right? indigenous. Yeah. So, it, yeah, indigenous cannabis. It has to be 
Uh, no pesticides, no herbicides, no fungicides, right? It's easy. <laughs> All right, hold on, hold on. Say it again. Please say it again, Tim, for our listeners. No herbicide. No, no herbicides. No, no pesticides. And no fungicide. And no fungicides. That's your plan is. Okay, now that's a red flag. Those Man, that's what people want, but that's that's what people are. That's what I think a lot of people are getting caught cheating on, right? That's a lot. Of, a lot of people are getting caught cheating on. Unfortunately, in Canada, so under the LP program, your cannabis has to have trace elements of those three. You're mandated. They're mandated to use pesticides. See, that's strange. That is strange. So we look at cannabis. So that's the recreational model and their medical model. Our medical model. And the medical model mandates pesticides as well. Yes, it does. Right? And so our model doesn't have that. And so you're dealing with, with a very clean product, right? So, um, and when it goes into testing, it's, it's doubled down. So basically, the way we run the program is that we visit these farms, okay? So these farms are local. A lot of them local. Some of them are on system reserves. So you go there once, twice, three, four times, as many times as you feel necessary, and you you watch that operation grow. You're testing as you're going on. So, you know, the crop goes in in May, you're testing in June, July, August, September, October, right? And so, you know, you're watching the potency grow. You're, you're watching everything in real time, right? So you're, you're, you've got access to the reservoirs to test them, to see if they're using anything, and they're not. Right, and so it's a very um, uh, organic program, right? So everybody mixes their own piece, all their own sort of. Everybody has their own way of growing. Yeah. Right, and they always Natural, have. Yeah. Herbicide. So. And that's what, and that I think that's what makes it craft, right? And that's what makes it special. That's what makes it special from that person or that that group or that and that entity right like that's their standard like your standard is high and that's what makes you guys high quality products right because you're setting your own standards and it so happens to be that those standards are high enough where major companies are starting are saying hey we want to learn from you because we can't do it we can't do it ourselves that i yeah that's amazing man He's nodding his head. They're both nodding their head in agreement. <laughs> but on the audio, you just hear silence. They're both looking at me. They're nodding like, yeah, it is cool. <laughs> but that's remember, guys, I don't do video. I don't do video. <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. That's all right. But it is. It's amazing. It really is amazing. It's kind of like, man, it is amazing, man. It is. And that's why I like, that's why I'm very thankful for Sherry Bennett introducing me to both of you. Sherry's a great woman. And I'm thankful for her doing all that stuff. You know, we get out what we do yeah. for, for you. So we really appreciate it. And we're also, because of that, we're also really lucky. We can get a product to market pretty fast. Right. I remember talking about that with you during your episode, Kathy. It's like, hey, you know, you you're, you got all that stuff internal. What I would like to add about the red market versus black market versus gray market. Yeah. So the black market is what everybody thinks it is, right? It's it's basically everybody who isn't regulated um, and standardized um, or paying any taxes, basically making products um, off the grid, right? And so are those people criminal? I don't think so. I don't. Are there criminals involved? Yes, I think so. And that is the problem, right? So um, the black market right now in Canada is deeply rooted and it's not good right so it's stealing growth from from the, the legal system but also stealing growth from the red market right so they're there just to make money and uh, we're there for people and so um yeah yeah it's a danger the black market is a danger to the red market and they are two wholly separate entities um the, the red black market, market doesn't care what they, they sell. don't care what they sell they don't care if their dosing is accurate they don't care about pesticides herbicides and fungicides they don't care about anything but making a problem so when I, yeah sorry, so go ahead tim sorry say it again tim. at least the corporations are bound by government oversight right so yeah Best product? No, they don't. But they are governed by the government, and they are trusted, right? So you can't say that about the black market. 
It's just they're out there putting whatever they have access to into their products, and it's and it's and it's really troubling to see. It is, and it's stealing a lot of growth from our people. So now the the red market. You guys, is this within Canada only? Or can you guys operate across international borders? So you cannot operate across international borders, at least not yet. Um, now, I can I could not order cannabis products from you in Canada right now in Florida. Florida has a medical I'm a medical marijuana patient in Florida. I could not order that from Tyndanega Sovereign Nation and have it shipped to me even though I have a permit. That is the current that's that's the current rules across the both nations. That is. Yeah, that is. We can't ship THC out of the country. Right. right but now. you can ship but you can ship it within within Canada, right? And, and we can ship it. So the aspiration is obviously to have legacy uh, in the U.S. And um, that is a far off aspiration, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, so I would like to see some some way for us to operate south of the border um, through the First Nations to do it the same way we do here. So we'll hopscotch around from nation to nation to nation, very much like we built out in Canada. So I'd like to see uh, um, uh, an entity like that, perhaps maybe um, open, right? So we do have lots of friends south of here, um, working all across the United States, actively engaged in legalization and getting their nations up and running within legalization. So it's not beyond the possibility to see legacy south. Yeah. I think it's going to happen. I think it's eventually going to happen because it will eventually, I mean, just like you said with, the Canadian election between uh, Trudeau and what was it Parker? You said was it Parker? Uh, this time around, yeah. Parker, Parker. Parker. Okay, Parker or Trudeau and Harper. You were like, yeah, he's going to legalize it. The, yeah. the majority. I've something like that's going to happen here. It, it's you know what I mean. It's 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 politics. It's you know what it is, and yeah. and well, I think when eventually when that happens, now now the funny thing is is that. I don't know. I'm not, I have not been looking, I have not been looking out for this stuff at all, but as far as hearing about anybody that's kind of close to doing anything, which you guys are doing in the States, I don't really see any articles about that. And I don't really hear much about it, but like I said, I'm not like, I'm not like scouring for it either, but I'm just kind of seeing what's out there. And, and that's, what's interesting is that you guys are very much in, you, you guys got a cool thing going in Canada and, this is where I'm kind of like, hmm, eventually this is going to go legal in the federal United States and it's going to change. Everything will change. It'll all be changed. But I get what you're saying. Inroads are being laid out now. So that way when that flip switch is flipped, that switch is flipped and things chug along even at an even faster pace. So that's why I was curious. It was like, I, you know, you guys are, you guys are active. You're, you're, you're integrated with your community. You are educated on the history of your people and your people within Canada and the United States. And I'm wishing you guys the best. I wish you guys the best because I do want you guys to do well, man. I think it's amazing what you guys are doing. And I always think about it like this, because when it comes to pesticides and growing and stuff like that, my dad was a migrant worker when he was a kid. He was a child working in the migrant fields. And it was a big deal having that stuff addressed because they're dumping it on people right they're dumping it on people they don't care so now yeah. here we are still it's it's you know it's it's pro you've got genetically modified organisms you know to treat critters and this and that but then all of a sudden things just get weird along the way you start you start losing the benefit because you're guarding against the threat and then the benefit the threat you know what out when when is that when is that tipped right and it's just kind of a strange thing to see so many people just used to it to see so many people just, yeah, that's just the way it is. And you see that they don't like it, right? And here you are saying, I don't like this. I'm going to set a higher standard. I'm going to set a standard here. And that can be lonely sometimes. I imagine that can be lonely. I don't know. Is it lonely doing that? Yeah, it's, it's lonely. It can be lonely, yeah. yeah. We get a lot of, uh, okay, so when you get people that come here, they just shake their head. Right? They're just, you know, because it does. Um, 
we take quite a while to roll something out, right? We think it over, we test it, we retest it, we test it again, right? Just to make sure we're making the right move. And so a lot of people are just going, get it out already. Get it out front. They know what they the product they have is, is superior. But, but the way we handle things, we, we know that product is superior too, but we want to validate it. Yeah, we want to validate it all first, right? And so we've never had to recall a product here in Legacy 420. And so that's cool. You've never had to recall a product because I'm seeing articles about tens of thousands of pounds of product being recalled for contaminants. Right. Yeah, no, there's there's no way that that would happen here. Yeah. Um, there's so many inspection points and checks and balances in place that. And this is possible for everybody. I know. It's yeah. just that we scaled it so fast and built so big that we literally built white elephants, right? And so now the, to put those checks and balances, there's so many checks and balances because there's these buildings are, are mammoths. They are so big. Some, you know, 100,000 square, million square feet, some of them. And so it's really tough. To, to regulate that, right? So when you've got a smaller operation, that, and that's why microgrows has been so successful, is because they're easy, right? And so we, we should, uh, if I had the opportunity to build 100,000 square feet, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. I don't care if, if, if uh, people were banks, bankers were here giving me the money to do it. I'd say, no, that's not necessary. You don't have to do it. You build it out as you go. And there's where we all went wrong. The the uh, the rush. We we just you know uh, put our blinders on. We uh, word called legalization and then capitalization, right? And so that with capitalization comes speculation. And once speculation came, it was all about making money. It wasn't about growing out a cannabis space. It was about making money. And quite frankly, I was just involved and invested in growing my cannabis space, not making money. The money will follow once you once you grow your business, and and those are pretty fundamental business uh, principles yeah. that people never listen to. And so that's what you got going on. You have all these big companies now in Canada um, teetering on bankruptcy, right? And 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 not even knowing where to turn next. And here we are, um, a much smaller footprint. And quite, quite frankly, we've got our own pains too because of, of the climate. But I can I can tell you one thing: we don't owe one penny to nobody. We're debt free, and, and that moving forward is 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 a good thing. That helps us to sleep at night. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you, it that's a good thing. That's a good thing for you guys. That is a good thing. Yeah, that's cool. Sleeping at night is good. Sleeping yeah. at night is good. That's cool, guys. That's cool. All right. <clears throat> now, I got it. Maybe I got to switch the video. Maybe I should try doing some video sometime. I'm going to be hitting up YouTube in 2023. I'm going to put all this stuff on YouTube. It's, so we'll be doing that. We'll be doing some things. But maybe I should do some video because you guys got a cool table over there. And plus, I like you guys got purple. I got purple. I like purple. <laughs> purple all right. Purple. What's that? Purple is our color. That's our traditional color. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Yeah. So that's a good. That's it. That's it. That's perfect, right there. So what do you guys got? What do you guys want to tell everybody about? Because this is going to publish in 2023. What do you guys want to tell people about what you have coming up in 2023? Kathy, you want to start first? Okay, sure. Um. Well, we're looking at um. <clears throat> establishing a couple of distribution centers um, so we can get our product to different areas. So that's one of the things we're working on for 2000. So I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit on that. So um, we're branching out to the west and to the east. So meaning um, new coverage, uh, new brown, um, Saskatchewan is one, and it looks like New Brunswick might be another one. And hopefully Nova Scotia after that. So um, it's a pretty interesting year for sure. So um, what we're finding is what we built out is catching the eye of the right people, which is the leadership of the, of the band councils, the chiefs and the council people. And um, 
they see what we're doing as medicine as well. And they see that it can be lucrative if it's done right. So what they've chosen to do is monopolize Legacy 420 on their nation. So um, that could be very lucrative for all of us involved because um, we are holding that system and the black market can't grow in that system. And for me, that's the way forward. Right on, right on. Like I said, you guys are always guarding against the abuses, guarding against that stuff and producing a high quality products at the same time. That's cool. Yeah. They're not in their heads. They're not in their heads, guys. <laughs> Hey, is there anything else you guys want to say to uh, anybody listening? That anybody, anything else you want to close out with? Um, time is yours. The time is yours. Yeah, out to your uh, your native people in uh, all across the U.S. and uh, around the world. If if they need a you know if they need a hand with anything, right? And and uh, knowledge based um, on anything, cannabis. Just reach out to us here at legacy420.com and. Um, we can help you get started, right? So um, very early on, probably 2015, 2016, I was talking to a lot of people from all over the world, and we still do. Um, but um, there was a lot of nations back then, Africa, uh, Asia, Australia, New Zealand, that, that were legalizing. And, you know, they're, they're all have been born out now, right? So a lot of those nations um basically got their start you know talking you know talking with us right like watching us um checking out our videos so i, I just throw it out there that um you can do this right they can do this they can do the same thing we're doing here all they have to have is the will to do it and reach out to us if you need a hand to move it forward and on that note if uh if they see that it's too much for them we have a white labeling program yes absolutely we do so yeah. we will we have a white labeling program so we will put your logo your information on our product right on right. test a product for sale in their store with their own label and uh people get people get so legacy420.com is the website l-e-g-a-c-y 420.com that's you correct. It. You got it. Yeah. All right. Kathy O'Coin, Tim Barnhart, the CEO and, and owner of Legacy 420, Tynanega, Sovereign Mohawk Nation Territory. Sovereign Mohawk Nation. What is it considered? Nation or territory? Does it yeah. matter? Are those two words interchangeable when we talk about it like this? Or is it? Well, they are interchangeable. Okay. Sovereign Mohawk Nation. There you go. Ontario, Canada. Legacy420.com. Check them out. This is the Conversation Cannabis Christianity Podcast. Love you all. Bye.